Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bijou Banter. Today in the Zoom studio, we've got the usual crew and a special guest. We've got Orson Codd, Matthew Hudd, Daniel McGregor Hire, me, Calvin Leslie, and special guest Joshua Benjamin. Hello, everyone. Oh, my God, it's Joshua Benjamin. Hello. Oh, my God, the legend. Uh, and today we're talking about two awesome films, or maybe they aren't awesome. You'll certainly find out soon. We're talking about The Conjuring 3, also known as The Conjuring Does the Devil Made Me Do It, uh, because they broke with the numerical tradition, which is really screwing with me. And also Ryan, The Last Dragon, which is the newest Disney princess film, uh, which sort of pigeonholes it, but I'll get into that later. But we're going to start with The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, which is directed by Michael Chavez. Uh, it stars Patrick Wilson, Vera Farmiga, and a bunch of other sort of lesser known actors. And it's about a murder or the Warrens who are the stars of the Conjuring universe uh, investigate a murder that uh, is claimed to be linked to demonic possession. What did we all think? I'm, you know, a huge fan of horror movies. And so I think I like to know when I watch one, if I can see a good one or a bad one and like tell the difference. And I just thought this was just painfully below average. Like it wasn't mediocre, but it was just right below mediocre because the first one, you know, we talked about it like what, two weeks ago and we all kind of were like, okay, you know, it's got some good things. Some of us liked it. Some of us were like, eh, this was just disappointing because the first two, whether or not you didn't like them, you can't deny director James Wan, you know, knows how to do horror pretty well. And he obviously didn't return for this one. He was just, I think he created the story and he was a producer and you can like tell he didn't direct it. It was just very, boring i thought like i thought there were some really like interesting ideas but just overall i was just like kind of zoning out a little bit i was like oh what oh we still got 50 minutes left like come on so yeah that was sadly how i kind of felt about it summed up yeah the first conjuring movie was a good film and i hadn't seen the second one so i re i watched that before i saw this one the second one i thought was also good to me i just felt like they did the same thing again it was just a bit longer and this one I definitely find to be the worst of the three films. Uh, I saw this in theaters, unfortunately. Uh, thankfully, I didn't pay money to see it. But if I paid money to see it, when I could have seen it at, um, at home for uh, no currency, I would have definitely been very disappointed because this was so obviously done by a different writer and director. It really doesn't feel like a Conjuring movie. The scares are very few and far between. And what Orson said, it is a very boring film, which is surprising. Like, this is a film about exorcisms, demonic possessions and stuff. And I'm just like, I'm like about to fall asleep. Like, that's such a big problem with this movie. And it like tone wise, it doesn't fit with The Conjuring, like in how this universe is brought up. There's a lot of moments of like really poor forced humor, too. Like, there's this one line where like he's there's they go like this old um, farmer, old like um priest i think and he's like hi my name is ed warren and he doesn't shake their hand and you think he's just a weirdo but he's like oh i have chicken crap on my hands and it's just like it's such a silly line it's like why is that in a movie like this and it's just uh i don't know i thought it was a kind of a waste of time which is unfortunate because knowing what james wan did with the first conjuring film it is good he has an idea there and it's such a shame that he didn't return for this third one to cap off the trilogy I find uh, thinking about this movie and kind of making fun of this movie much more fun than the movie itself. Uh, when it started, um, I was thinking, oh, okay, so this is going to be like a, like a courtroom drama type thing, but with demons. All right. All right. They're doing something new. I'm kind of into this. Uh, and then obviously the movie doesn't really follow the court case very much. It ends up bringing in like a Satanist. 
So I looked up what the real story was, and oh boy, turns out the uh, the case was thrown out immediately. The uh, the judge, uh, upon hearing them say that uh, he was possessed by the devil, said, "No, that's not admissible as evidence," and uh, threw the case out, and he was charged. So the fact that everything around this movie is just completely made up, I think, is hysterical. But the the movie itself was, yeah, yeah, it was kind of boring. It was more than boring. It was just like it was bad. Like from, because like you were saying, Joshua, if it had been this sort of courtroom drama focused on this bonkers idea that someone uh, claimed they were not guilty because they were possessed by the devil, that would be one thing. But instead, it takes a sort of sharp left turn and doesn't. It's like you see this cool idea. Forget about that because we got this run-of-the-mill horror movie that we're going to do for the next two hours. And it is boring and it's bad and it's not even particularly fun to watch. It's just kind of dull. I, I thought there were some there were some cool stuff like towards the beginning with what they were setting up. I thought the first act was actually kind of solid. It was like right up until the one dude killed like the really creepy like landlord or something where they had that great blondie song playing i thought that was a really cool choice to use but then everything after that i oh and i liked the scene in the morgue i thought that was pretty creepy but yeah just everything after that i thought was just kind of what you said calvin very run-of-the-mill like you could predict exactly what was going to happen and it just you know kind of what josh said i liked the idea about um having a courtroom drama i think that's what a lot of people expected but it just did exactly what the first two Conjuring movies did. It didn't do anything different. And it had this idea where it could have done something really cool, but it just kind of went and played it safe, which I think was just kind of a risk. I just well, kind of, that you, like, oh. uh, yeah. you can, you can go. Yeah. Just, just kind of hearing because I got to tell my viewers, I, our viewers, I have not watched this film, um, but it's pretty interesting because the Conjuring universe kind of bases itself entirely off of historical fiction. Um, maybe apart from the spinoffs like the Nun or Annabelle creation. Um, and wasn't the Curse of La Lorna also part of that universe too? Yeah, but yeah. it's, I mean, except that one I think is more mythological than it really is anything else. So it's kind of interesting that this one is based off of like what Josh said, a sham of a court case. And they just made it into a feature-length film that, if I'm looking at this right, almost two hours long. And, like, you have very little to work with, like, in terms of story, because it was a short court case. They threw it out right away. And you're just like, okay, I guess we're going to make all of this up and see where it takes us and it's pretty interesting that um at least from what i'm hearing that they went this route with this story and this universe well the, the best thing is like the uh what, what they went with instead was he it turns out he wasn't actually exactly possessed by the devil when he committed this murder he was being possessed by a satanist this is all like completely made up for the movie was being possessed by a satanist uh who had an underground altar who needed to kill somebody for her evil purposes um and the only way she could do that was via this and then throughout the movie while he was incarcerated 
kept trying to possess him to kill himself. Uh, I, did anybody understand what the Satanist plan was? Because I, I know, like, you said that you thought it was like, you could see exactly where the movie was going. I had no idea what her plan was or what was going on. But that's not, but what you said too, because it's like, yeah, you didn't know where, where it was going, but that's most of the time that's a good thing. In this movie, it's not because you have no idea what the plan is. It's so convoluted and confusing. Whereas the first two, like you get, yeah, it's just an exorcism. The war, there's a family, they have some sort of demonic possession in, in their house. They call the Warrens, they come and try to destroy, destroy it by an exorcism. It's really simple and it's pretty straightforward. I think sometimes they uh, linger on that concept a bit too long, but you get it. You get what it's going for. This one, they're trying to do a lot, especially with this court case. And also the fact that Arnie, who is the guy who becomes possessed, is not really possessed. It's more he's been controlled by a Satanist. But it gets so convoluted by the third act. Like they try to set up all this and it just doesn't add up. It's just, it honestly is just such a confusing experience. And while I was watching in the theaters too, it's just like, I could tell that like the people sitting next to me, they're just like, what is even happening? And it would have been fine if they A, explained it well, or B, made it scary from beginning to end, but it's not. The, thir- the second half is so dry and just not scary at all. There's no, there's very little in the way of creepy atmosphere or genuinely scary moments with the only exception being the morgue scene. Cause that's kind of in the second act and that's a good scene. But other than that, the final act, the climax, you know, at the end of every conjuring movie, there's this epic climax where it builds up to the exorcism. None of that here. It's just so boring. I'm not going to spoil it, but for Daniel, but are just, we not doing just, spoilers? Well, since Daniel hasn't seen it, I don't know if he's gonna if he's gonna see it or not. Okay, but... I wouldn't mind if you spoil it because these movies. I really want to talk about like it like like, oh, okay. the, like like these movies. To me, it's like they're not necessary anything spoiler worthy. I mean, it's not have like have you saying, seen the first two? Yeah, I seen the first two. I seen the first two, and I seen every single other one. And I gotta be honest, I was never scared by these movies. I kind of have this very odd thing whenever it comes to horror movies where I'm not scared by any of them unless you say hereditary because that actually did put me on edge for a bit. But for some reason in these movies, especially Annabelle Creation, I just laugh in the theater while watching these. I have nothing to be scared of because it's so predictable and I just can't help but laugh at these. So Go ahead, give me your spoilers. I might watch it just to do a MST free K type thing. Who knows? Well, one of the things I, first of all, I actually liked Annabelle Creation. I think that's one of the better, the second best movie in the Conjuring universe. It's actually pretty good in my opinion. But one of the things that I thought was just so cheap that I had heard about that they did in this movie before I even saw the movie is that they gave patrick wilson's character another thing of like oh he could die again because they did that in the second one where it's like oh you know vera farmiga keeps seeing like these flashes of like i don't remember what it was it's been a while since i've seen this the man getting spiked yeah getting (laughs) yeah getting spiked through the chest and then in this one it's like oh he's got a heart attack so and it's an interesting idea of like oh he can't really like you know get involved in these like you know hectic situations because it might you know trigger his heart at any minute but i just didn't feel like it really used it to its advantage like it could have and plus it just felt like it was a repeat of the second where it's like you're on edge that he's gonna die but this time it's like oh well he didn't die in the second one he's probably not gonna die in the third one well the the real man died in 2006 so i like i'm willing to bet you'll be fine um one thing I, i like about 
I okay, I, I didn't like this movie, but one thing I uh, kind of appreciate is that the um, how how just more absurd the uh, the confrontation at the end seems to get. In the first movie, it was just your basic, you know, holy water and prayer, and then the ghost is gone. All right, whatever. Second movie, they go with the Rumpelstiltskin approach, where you have to scream the nun's true name, and then they'll like burst and die. In this one, the bad was stopped via the power of love getting Patrick Wilson to smash the altar with a sledgehammer and then make a bloodbending Mortal Kombat type character come take the Satanist and uh, do a fatality on her. It, it just oh, that's got the part, absurd. That's the part that really sucked about this movie was the uh, emotional, sappy uh, Twilight-like love story that they shoehorned in basically with um, sort of showing how Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga met. And it's told in like this sepia tone flash where like, oh, I saw him at the movie theater. He asked me for a date to get ice cream. And then it started to rain that we went over the casino. We're just like, this is a conjuring movie. Why is this in here? Like, are you kidding me? Like, we we get the fact that they're together. I understand they love each other very much. We don't need to see them meeting. And then it, it leads up to the climax. And the very last shot of the movie is literally them at the gazebo and they kiss. And it's just like, why is this the ending of a horror film? It doesn't make any sense. Did Gary Marshall take over directing? Yeah, at the yeah, end? The, oh, yeah. The, the, the exorcism was them resurrecting Gary Marshall from the grave to direct this movie. That that was the exorcism all along. Did, it's interesting that Joshua brought this up because it's something that reminded me I wanted to say. When uh, Patrick Wilson is running through like the tunnels or whatever and he's like possessed, did that remind anybody else of Dr. Sleep a couple years ago where Ewan McGregor gets possessed and then like he's chasing the little girl through like the overlook, which I thought was a really cool scene. I like that movie and I'll defend it. I know a lot of people don't, but like, and then like she just stops him and like, it wasn't the power of love if I don't recall, but you know, she just connects with him. That kind of reminded me in this movie, like they connect after the possession. He's like, oh, wait a second, I can beat this and like, just get it out of his mind just like that. I don't know. It's just interesting similarity. It just mm-hmm. reminded me of like a monster of the week special where I, I feel like the guy getting possessed and then realizes, no, I love these people. And then turning against the bad guy, I feel like that happens a lot, but it happening in this with a sledgehammer, I thought was fantastic. <laughs> I knew that scene reminded me of something because you're exactly right, Orson. And you're also right, Joshua. It does sort of feel like a mon- like it feels like something out of the flash that would happen. Um, but it does remind me of Dr. Sleep. But I also wanted to bring up the love story in this because there was a little bit of the love story in Conjuring 2, which I think I've only seen the three movies, but the Conjuring 2 is like by far and away the best one, even though to me it was still a bit of a middling film. Like it was just, it was good. And I didn't like the other ones. Uh, and in that it's used to like a really good effect because you see them connecting and you sort of get a little bit of their past, but also it's highlights the ever present risk that he's gonna get spiked through the chest. But this one, there's none of that, it's just, sort of thrown in there so that it can have that monster of the week type ending it's like they were inspired by gallagher's comedic stunts of smashing a watermelon with a sledgehammer i'm guessing that is horrifying to michael chavez for some reason maybe that that is exactly right there was actually uh I, I can't believe you you noticed that, uh, considering you haven't seen the movie, but there was, in fact, a watermelon on top of the altar. 
as Patrick Wilson smashed it. And they shot it in 4K slow motion just so you could really see it splatter. It really took me out of the movie initially, but looking back, I think it was really a genius move on the director's part. I guess I have a question for everybody that's seen the movie. Sorry, Daniel. Do you think they're going to do a fourth one? Like, yes. because it seems like a lot of people are kind of looking at this and being like, well, it's not, I, I just, would they bring James Wan back? Cause I know he's got Aquaman two right now, but I think that's the only thing they can do unless they get someone else like Jordan Peele or I'm not Shyamalan to do it. Cause I just, I don't know. I mean, it's the conjuring, but at the same time you want to, those are always like the Avengers of these movies. And I just feeling that this one was very lackluster and mediocre to a lot of people. I just don't know if they'd want to repeat that again. Because if it's a movie like The Nun, which was a terrible movie, I don't know if they care as much. But this is The Conjuring. That's more recognizable. I, I think I think they will probably make another one. It'll probably just be a while, to tell you the truth. Because um, to me, it's like The Conjuring, the way this one looked ended to it's not like it was seen as like the end of a trilogy this was not the end game of the conjuring films it was just yeah it's just at the end of another film they're sort of leaving it up to more films maybe the next one will take place in the 90s and then we'll have a fifth one take place in 2000s where um ed warren dies or something who knows but it's just like there's still some attempt to bring this franchise quote back like maybe the studios will look at this and be like okay we screwed up we need to get back James Wan and go back to the roots weird comparison but kind of, this reminded me of the Shrek trilogy how the first two were excellent well Shrek, Shrek 1 isn't very good that's my hot take but Shrek 3 is was so bad because they totally changed it but then they went back to Shrek 4 and they kind of made it more they went back to the heart of the series maybe they'll do something like that and maybe they'll end it who knows but considering the Conjuring universe has had how many films like eight or nine they're definitely gonna make a fourth one like there's it's a no-brainer at this point you might have just you might have just made half of the internet mad by saying shrek one is the worst one (laughs) no i didn't say it was the worst one i i said it was i did i said it wasn't very good shrek three is obviously the worst one that movie is awful yeah, but. I think you deserve to go into that corner of the internet with Doug Walker and his opinion on <laughs> Shrek 1. But, Josh. I don't remember what I was going to say. I, saw I was just so- agreeing, I think. I saw someone pitch an interesting idea for The Conjuring 4 because I think it's well known that the Warrens were kind of, what's like the word, shamblers, I think is the right word. Like they weren't like maybe as reliable as the movies have made them out to be like they weren't as respected and someone was like what if that's like what they're dealing with in the fourth one they're like you know trying to actually do this real exorcism but like the public sees them as like okay they're starting to catch on that they're maybe not the most realistic people that they kind of just do things for money or like attention or whatever and i think that would actually be really interesting but who knows if they'll do it well i I watched uh conjuring three with calvin and i remember uh at one point we said like i think this would be a good movie if it wasn't in the Conjuring universe. If it was just about like this case and about the Warrens, but maybe showing that the Warrens probably weren't the most reliable people and maybe uh, we're pulling a few things to make this happen, even though it didn't actually work. I'm just curious how like the people related to Arnie Johnson might feel about this movie or like people involved with that case. I'm just curious to hear what they have to say. Cause if what you're saying is that if they, you, Josh, you said that a lot of this movie was not based, obviously not based on real life. Like they did, they did take a lot of liberties. You said, correct. 
pretty much like how much of the movie would you say is actually the case? I, I think like just the beginning and then the last like five oh, minutes of the movie yeah. are the case and everything like, else is just made up. Like 10%. <laughs> yeah. I, I was curious to know, I just want to know how they think about this movie just because it feels a little bit, I don't want to say disrespectful, but it just seems a bit off that they took like this case and like made just something totally like fictitious surrounding it. I know the all the Conjuring movies kind of do that, but this one in particular, just like knowing that the original case was just so not like how this movie is sort of like, I just, I don't know. It kind of makes me feel a little, a little odd. It is weird. Yeah. I don't there's anything like nefarious they did against the dude. I mean, I guess they were trying to push that he was, you know, possessed, but they didn't really, in my opinion, besides maybe the killing himself scene, I thought that was a little over the top when it didn't need to be as in there if it's not actually something that happened. But I don't think it was as maybe offensive as maybe someone like Matthew might think, but it is very strange. I'll say that. What was the name of the dude who the who was possessed? Arnie. I forget. Arnie. Uh, Arnie had a brother um, who they, they never show in the movie who is like very openly talking about, not, not specifically about this movie, but about the case in general saying that the Warrens came in and lied from the very beginning. Um, and so in everything about this case, everything is published about it, the Warrens try to make sure the brother isn't included in anything about it. I find everything around this movie much more interesting than the movie itself. Do you just like think like say the producers and Chavez probably like were trying to find that idea that they were going to do with the Warrens and it's like okay we just got to dig to the bottom of the barrel and find what works well this is a case that we can probably take a few liberties with and they did from what I'm hearing very strange because they had a lot of cases they could have chosen from like i know they showed like didn't they go to amityville or something at the beginning of the second one like maybe the third one could have just been a prequel i don't know but that's very strange i mean like josh has been saying i feel like there is a good movie in this movie somewhere like this case is fascinating even though in real life as it should have been it was laughed out of court um the fact that somebody pled innocent by fact of demonic possession is really interesting and strange. It's just the fact that they decided to say, screw that, we're going to waste the premise and then go a different direction. That just really, it really hurts. Which that's the thing, even in all the marketing, I was like, when they would say, if anybody saw the trailers and they would say it in the movie that, you know, they make you like put your hand on a Bible and say the court accepts God, it's time they accept the devil too. I'm like, that's like a super cool thing that like you don't really think about when we watch like movies like The Trial of the Chicago 7 or whatever, if they tried to plead, oh, well, you know, the devil or the four horsemen of the apocalypse were possessing us. But like, they didn't really play it up in this movie. Like kind of what we were saying a couple minutes ago, the movie's only like 10% of the actual court case that they, you know, spent like 90% marketing of, so. It comes to the point where if we find the case so much more interesting maybe this just should have been a documentary about the case then that would be interesting or if it wasn't connected to conjuring and it was just sort of a one-off movie maybe it wouldn't be as bad i still don't think it would be enjoyable but it's like having the conjuring name on it when we know that the first two movies are totally different and totally took advantage of us about like demonic possessions and stuff and created something like genuinely creepy around that like it would have been fine, but they just they didn't. And 
it just boils down to the fact that this movie, I know some of us said it, but it is genuinely boring. Like it is just, so, there's so many moments in this movie that it's just like, it's not engaging at all. Even as someone who has seen the first two, like knowing that sort of context, it should be a bit more, I guess, fun in quote to watch, but it really isn't. It's just, it's such a snooze fest. How you felt watching this movie, by the way, is how I felt watching the first Conjuring. Like they're about equal levels of boring to me. So that- I also, yeah. No, we, we watched all three movies together. Um, and I think we both found the second one to be the most fun. Uh, but the first one, yeah. Yeah, the second, yeah, the second one. Oh, sorry, uh, you go. Sorry, uh, I feel like the second one is the best because it basically is just a remake of The Conjuring, but they do it better until the third act where just everything doesn't make any sense anymore. But that's a whole other thing. But well, this well, one- that's my, that's my problem with the second one is that the second one, it just feels like they did the same thing that the first one did and just made it a bit longer and made it a bit more quote in quote unrealistic. I know none of these movies are realistic because they're all about- demons and stuff but yeah it's just like that that one my problem is that it was just like really really way too long and just really overblown but the central stuff about that movie was good sorry sorry galvin one thing i liked about conjuring i like conjuring too but they used london calling in it which is a very good song and i was so happy when i saw that in the theaters because i love the clash and i was like oh my god that's a great song but yeah it's a good movie yeah i probably have more to say about the conjuring 2 than the conjuring 3 but I, we should probably just talk about Conjuring 3. Yeah, because Conjuring 2 is a whole other beast to, to get through. Um, yeah, the crooked man. Oh, boy. Jeez, wasted concept. But, like, one of the things, sort of going back to whether they're going to make an, another Conjuring movie or not, I do feel like it is inevitable but that they will. But they didn't do what they did with the other Conjurings in this. They didn't, like, seed any spinoff material into it. It's all very focused, which at first I thought I would like because I thought the movie would be good. But as it drifted away, I sort of wish there had been a scene like in the first one with Annabelle doing stuff because I liked the Annabelle stuff in the first one. Like I wish there had been something thrown in just to be like, here's a little bit of good stuff just to make the other two hours that you're watching worth it. I, I agree. Throughout the, first of all, I'm still waiting for the Crooked Man movie because like you said, Calvin, wasted concept and they've been saying since conjuring 2 came out we're gonna make a crooked man movie and it's gonna be a dark fairy tale i'm still waiting for it like what almost five years later or something but still i agree throughout the whole uh conjuring theory i was like where's annabelle where's the nun and then at the very end they barely even like scratch the surface where like you see the painting in the background or annabelle in the background i was like that makes me mad because like they didn't like yet yeah, set those seeds for like whatever. And in Annabelle three, they totally did. They like set up a werewolf or like a terrible bride or whatever. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. What the conjuring does is like, even if you don't want to see those movies because the conjuring hasn't really done so well with their spinoffs, like it's still kind of cool to see like what they could do and that it just didn't really do it in this, which kind of sucks. That it does, but uh, we're almost out of time for The Conjuring 3, so final thoughts. I, I think for me, it's just painfully below mediocre. And like, there are some cool things about it. Like I like the first act, the scene with the uh, the Blondie song was really good. The the morgue scene was good and Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga are good. But I just, I, this was just very run of the mill horror. And like, I'm kind of glad I just saw this on a streaming service and didn't go to theaters because I think if I did, I just would have been disappointed. And I, 
just not having James Wan, just even from the beginning, just kind of had a sour taste in my mouth. So I, I didn't want to go in hating this, but I was just going to be disappointed no matter what. So I hope with Conjuring 4, whenever it comes out, they could get James Wan back or at least another seasoned horror pro. And like, unlike Michael Chavez, who did The Curse of La Llorona, which isn't that good of a movie. But yeah, for the time being, I'm probably going to give The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It like a four out of 10. I am curious real quick. Sorry to interrupt uh, Matthew's final thoughts, but I'm unfamiliar with James Wan's filmography. So what do you think he would have brought to this movie that would have upped it? I think what James Wan did so well is like he made scary actually scary. Like you can look at some of his movies and you can be like, oh, that's a very predictable jump scare or something. But I think if you look at like The Conjuring or Insidious or even the trench sequence in Aquaman 2, like he just did it so well. Like it didn't always need to be like right in your face scary. Like you can just have like a shadow creeping around the corner or like just a face in the background. And it's like, oh, that's really creepy. Like I think a perfect example of where this movie just failed is the scene where like Arnie's like in the house and he like sees like the rat or something go into the wall. And like, he's getting closer to the wall and closer and closer. And after a couple seconds, I was like, all right, nothing's going to be there. And he's going to be like, oh, okay. And he turns around and something's there. I said it was so predictable. And I'm like, you know, The Conjuring hasn't really, you know, been movies like Hereditary or Get Out with their scares. But at the same time, I thought the first two were just more clever with James Wan um, helming them. I'd say before, before I give my final thoughts, I just want to read this quote that I found on The Conjuring 3 Wikipedia page on James Wan's decision to choose Michael Chavez. He said, while working closely with Chavez on The Curse of La Llorona, I got to know him as a filmmaker. Chavez, Chavez, Chavez's ability to bring emotion to a story and his understanding of mood and scares make him a perfect fit to direct the next Conjuring film. Uh, that didn't really show because there was not a lot of mood. The emotions, there was emotion, but it wasn't, it wasn't necessary and it wasn't scary. Uh, this was... After the first two, this is an incredible step down. It's not as bad as a step down as, say, I don't know, going from Rares of the Lost Ark to uh, Crystal Skull, but it's just, a, it is a big step down. I, it was just, it's not very scary. It's very, um, not tone deaf, but it's like it has a hard, it has a really bad problem with tone and it's just straight up boring. And if a horror movie's boring, that's a problem and it's a big one. Uh, didn't really like it, and I don't recommend it. I'm also going to give it a 4 out of 10. I uh, didn't know we were doing number ratings, but I'll... I, I think on Letterboxd, I gave it 1.5 stars. That's like a 3 out of 10. Um, overall, I, I haven't really liked any of the Conjuring movies. The, the Conjuring 2, I at least like had a decent time with. But overall, I've not liked any of them, but I know I'm going to see The Conjuring 4 if only just for Patrick Wilson's incredible sideburns. So I guess that's my review of it. Those sideburns really give it a boost in rating, you know. <laughs> I think I'm also going to have, I'm going to give it a two out of 10. It was boring. It wasn't good. It was just like, just wasn't fun to watch. It wasn't like bad enough to be fun to watch because it was like, at the very least, it was competently directed. Uh, it doesn't mean it was well-directed, but it wasn't, like, so bad you could make fun of it and have fun with it. But it also wasn't at all good, and it was really boring, and it wasn't scary, which, if you're a horror film, you got to be either funny or scary. There's no real in-between there. But that'll wrap up our conversation on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and we're going to move on to a movie that I liked much more, which is Raya and the Last Dragon. Uh, it's Disney's newest princess movie that's very different from a lot of the other princess movies. Uh, it's about... Uh, Raya, who is trying to help 
banish these dark creatures that live in her world and bring back world peace. And it stars Kelly Marie Tran, Aquafina, Gemma Chan, and uh, Sandra Oh, and Benedict Wong, and Alan Tudyk, which I'll throw in there because I love that he keeps voicing all the Disney animals. Uh, but yeah, what did we all think? Uh, uh, maybe if I had seen this with like my little second cousins or something, I would have liked this more, but I was just, I hate to say it because I try not to be on my phone while watching movies. I was like looking at like Twitter or something for like a good majority of the movie, like maybe 60%. I just thought this was so like bland and mediocre. I'm just going to say it. Like, I know a lot of people like her. I I don't like Aquafina. I really don't. To me, she's always just been so annoying. Like maybe she's great in Shang-Chi. I think it's later this year, but like every time I watch that trailer and I see her in it, I'm like, ugh. but she's just not that funny to me. And I just thought she didn't, she wasn't really that funny here because like her character could have been like super cool, but it just seemed like Disney did what Disney did does with the character. And they just made her like a joke machine where it's like, there's always like maybe a sentimental moment or something. And she just has to like say a joke. And that's how I felt it was with like a lot of characters in this movie. And that just really sucked because there are a lot of, there's a lot of good talent in it. Like Alan Tiddick. I didn't know he was in the movie. Apparently he was somewhere. I don't, maybe he played like, what was it? Like the giant thing or whatever. Yeah, he played the giant armadillo. Uh, uh, of course he did. But yeah, you know, he was probably, he you know what? He was the best part of the movie actually. But yeah, I just thought this was just so like, it was a snooze fest for me personally. I didn't really care for it. I, so I like, I like this movie. Uh, I saw it. I also saw this in theaters when it first came out and um, it was the first movie I saw this year uh, during the pandemic. And I rewatched it on Disney plus. And I think this movie for the most part is good because I think the overall message, the main character and its animation are very strong. I really like what it does with the themes and how it's about trust and togetherness while also employing themes like indoctrination and nationalism. There's a lot of complex themes going on for a Disney film and I really like how it handles it, but what it doesn't have a good handle on is tone because what you said, Orson, I entirely agree. I like Aquafina, but I don't think she's very good in this, especially with her character because the character Zisu is an amazing design, like this water dragon spirit. And you'd think she'd be really like dignified and sort of like serious, but she is a bit of a joke machine and it doesn't really work. I I was never a fan of the side characters either. It just seemed like they were there to be like cute and also sell more merchandise. But my goodness, the first act and the last act are great. And to me, that's what saves this movie from being a complete train wreck because they are incredibly strong. The visuals are astounding. I really like how the film is edited too. It's really action packed and like fast paced kind of combining the elements of like an anime mixed with the style, the style and atmosphere of a studio Ghibli film. It's just, it's a really interesting blend. And the music is also really good too. This is James Newton Howard who did um, other Disney films like Atlantis, the lost empire and treasure planet. And the score here is beautiful. So there's a lot of great elements in this movie. It's a shame that none of it add up to make it an amazing movie overall. Well, first, first of all, I, like that this movie isn't an adaptation of anything or a you know a sequel or anything disney actually went ahead and makes made something original i mean it was avatar but like something original um and overall i thought the movie was good but i think it could have been really good if it had just i don't know been like a like a disney plus series because i i think 
the world that they established is so big and all of the kingdoms that she goes to, she only spends like a little bit of time in them. And honestly, I think I could have watched a season of Rhea, her really cool pill bug, um, and the gang going from uh, kingdom to kingdom, being chased by her evil ex-girlfriend. I, but instead, we just kind of we we roller coaster past everything. Um, it, it just I don't know. It was missed potential to me. But overall, I thought it was it was good. This is to me like this is kind of a bit refreshing considering what Disney has been doing this past decade because I don't know what it is about Disney, but I think it's after Moana, like they just kind of started to plateau a bit where it's like the since there's the biggest company on earth and they own everything now, it's like they don't necess they put less emphasis on creativity and more emphasis on business now um and it's been showing through their films i mean they, they had things that i would say that worked well like the mandalorian has been, has worked well um because that was able to be a little bit more original but the live action remakes and how pixar i wouldn't say pixar has fallen off but pixar has also kind of plateaued a bit um and how star wars at least the original saga has been terribly messed up um it's just been very refreshing that disney's finally going back to like doing something more original that isn't a sequel that isn't based off of another property that isn't um something that is existing it's something that is a little bit more original and cultural and i like this movie fine i think it's it has a lot of things that i feel like it could have just done a little bit better like part of me believes it was a little bit rushed in once um the film started because it was a good first act but it just kind of like the five years later and then oh she's all grown up and I wanted to kind of see a little bit more of like those trial and tribulations that she's gone through to grow into this character and to me it's where this film felt like it was rushing through so many things like you get these side characters and you get these plot elements and but there's things I still like about it. Like, I really like um, Gemma Khan's performances in the Mari. She was really good in it. And I really like how her art kind of comes to an end in, this, in the overall movie. Um, Kelly Marie Tran as Raya is a very good casting. And I do like the chemistry between both her and Renari. Aquafina, I don't know. I mean, Aquafina is kind of at that point where a lot of comedians are at that point when it's like they just get typecasted in very comedic roles but it's kind of distracting that she's a pretty big part of this plot I mean there is a part of the film that I do like when they're in this like sculpture not sculpture garden but they're kind of looking at like her siblings um at like this ruin type place that it is kind of a very good scene for her character but everything else like she's just comedic comic relief the other characters are not that particularly memorable but I think what really holds this film together is the message and the world and the two main characters that I think really keep this film from being more, um, less boring or just something that Disney just decided to shove on the drug.
less memorable side characters. What are you talking about? Uh, I'll give more of my thoughts in a second, but you've got the monkeys with the, the thief baby. You've got the guy whose entire village was murdered by the Droon, who are the sort of dark entities that roll through the world and turn everybody to stone. Like, they're fun. And you got the kid who, like, runs the boat because his family was turned to stone. Admittedly, a lot of the uh, motivation behind the characters is insert family member was turned to stone. But at the end of the day, like, they were turned to stone. Um, like, all the side characters I thought were really fun. Um, and I thought this movie was awesome. Like, I really, really liked it. I agree, Josh, that it definitely could have been a series just because there's so many little cool things that I'd love to see them do more with. Like, I'd love to see them do more with, like, the whole nation that was turned to stone and there's only one guy left. I'd, lo I'd have loved to see him like fight off the drones somehow or like hide from them. And I love, it's such a little detail, but I love little details like this when she has this sword, but it's not just a sword. It's also like a whip made of knives basically. And she can use it to grapple and she uses it to like block and deflect things. And I could watch a whole series just like of fights using that sword. It's just, Oh, it was so good. And even though I do agree that on sort of the surface, there are some parallels to Avatar, The Last Airbender, uh, I feel like it differentiates itself enough from it and like goes enough away that it doesn't really feel like a copy. It feels like it sort of started there, but it feels different, if that makes sense. I don't know. I, I never... I... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think, honestly, if they had just made if it feels mean to say but if aquafina just didn't talk in the entire movie and the dragon was like toothless you know where they could still kind of emote but they didn't speak um and if this were longer like in a series i think i would love ray and the last dragon legitimately as it is i don't know i'm, I'm just i'm just upset because it could have been better i mean i didn't get the avatar the last airbender vibe from this um i mean it's I meaning definitely like say it there there are some similarities definitely especially kind of like the way when you first see raya she kind of travels like you know how angry not like how angry travel but you know kind of like very stoic in a type of way but there's some ways where i do believe there is some there is some comparisons, but I never got that vibe from it. Um, but I do agree with like Aquafina is that she's not a bad actress. Like I think she's she can be pretty talented. Um, it's just that for some reason, it's like if every Disney film, there must be this one constantly talking comic relief or something of that regard. Because I think ever since uh, Robin Williams, Jeannie, was so successful it just became a big staple for disney to use that type of comic relief um i mean it's been in and not just disney but every movie started to try to cop every animated film after aladdin started to copy that a bit and this one i wouldn't say it feels tired because i do like the fact that she serves a purpose i mean like i said with the scene when she's like in the ruin of like where her siblings are um and how they're stoned um, it's just, I don't, I feel like if that, if there were more moments like that, or like with what Josh said, like kind of go the how to train your dragon route and just make the character more quiet and have an emote through the 
expressions alone. I feel like it could have made it a little bit more powerful. It really seemed to me the, they were trying to model uh, this dragon, whatever the name was, after um, Mushu. Elsa? No. I, I, thought, I thought more Mushu. She looks like Elsa to me. Yeah, she looked like Elsa and had like the comedic humor and like the constant talking to me of Mushu from the 90s Mulan. It's, that was, that, that's an interesting comparison because I feel like this movie has a lot of the same problems as the 90s Mulan because what I really like about the 90s Mulan, I have to say the 90s Mulan because there's more than one Mulan now, but yeah, what I like about that one is that at its core, it's a very serious story with very strong and heavy themes that wouldn't be very common in a Disney film, but they explore them very well and very maturely but they feel like they have to keep the kids attention so they need some sort of comic relief some sort of way some sort of like you know wacky character to keep the kids from going to sleep but it's like they don't it doesn't really necessarily need that because i think kids would still be just as engaged and that's the same problem i have with this film not to say like sizu when she does when she doesn't talk and when she actually does have emotional moments or like dramatic moments it works very well because i like how she she didn't think that she would be the one to you know like uh, uh keep keep the gem and sort of become like this protector but she had to trust her sisters about that and it's all centers around that theme of trust and unification but then you bring in jokes where she's like oh you know how like there's there's that one kid who doesn't do much on the group project just like why are you saying that it's just it doesn't fit and it's like it's so it's such a disappointment because it's like you have such a strong like what could be a very strong character and very uh, consistent flow of strong themes. And it's just, it just crashes and burns. And it's really unfortunate because it's right there. And I do really love this world building too. I think the land of Kumandra is so ripe for potential. I, I wouldn't mind seeing actually like a sequel or prequel series next to this film. Cause it's interesting how there's, what you said, Josh, about this being some sort of miniseries or television series, there is a lot of potential for that. And Disney is doing a lot of TV now with Disney Plus. So they could probably do something like that in the future. I won't be surprised. I, uh, I, I, I know, uh, Calvin and Daniel, you both said that you didn't really see the, uh, the Avatar similarity or like it didn't feel too similar to you. I would just like to say, tell me if this sounds familiar to you. Five nations lived together in harmony, but then everything changed when the bad nation attacked. Five years passed and Rhea and her pillbug discovered the new savior, a dragon named whatever. While she goes to uh, learn or sorry, collect all of the, the things from the different nations, she's being pursued by a princess who has been banished. And the only way she can, uh, not banished, the only way that she can like regain her honor is by capturing her and bringing her back. It's... It, it, it is Avatar. <laughs> I mean, I there mean, are there are definitely differences, but I mean, it it's it is a common motif. Like, it really is a common motif because I think that's been there since Greek mythology with like Hercules and like the twelve what I forgot like the twelve tasks he's supposed to do or something like that. I mean, it's been a motif, but I, I can kind of see what you're getting at here i mean i think the thing that makes it different though is the fact that there's not really much of a villain in this movie which i actually really like it's kind of like they took the moana route a little bit except moana did kind of have a villain for a bit but it wasn't really much of a villain as it was like somebody who was who was pretty upset but here it's like 
these pe like these people in these lands like they're pretty upset about like how they're trying to share one thing and so i do like the fact that they're all that there's a big unity um in the end and i think that's why the message really stands out because there's not necessarily much of a villain in this movie as there is like say just misunderstanding and kind of you know trying to get along and trying to trust each other um throughout so i mean but i do kind of see your avatar compa comparison i will say it's not that i don't see the comparison to avatar reading the description on like google when you just google ryan the last dragon like you could replace droon with fire nation and raya with katara slash ang and it would be like yeah that that's just avatar but like once you delve into it i think daniel said it sort of the best like it doesn't feel like avatar it feels like something else the similarities are still there but i never got the same sort of feeling that i did as when i watch avatar the last airbender it felt like a different thing it, it takes sure. inspiration yeah, I, but you could you could never confuse the two at least right i i personally felt that i did draw some comparisons to avatar when i first saw it but it never was like a distraction or a negative i had with the film just because Avatar is so popular now, it's like if you're developing a movie kind of like this with these different factions and trying to like unify from like a threat, there's obviously going to be some implementation of something from Avatar where it was intentional or not. Now, if they stole the cabbage guy, I wouldn't draw the comparisons. I think that's one where it's like, yeah, that's completely plagiarism from Disney and Nickelodeon should sue. Uh, did, did you guys know what, uh, I didn't really understand what the power of the stone was. I, I, I saw Rhea when it came out. I haven't rewatched it since it came out. Um, but it seemed like Rhea's uh, kingdom was like keeping the stone and they all knew that the stone didn't do anything, but everyone thought it did something. And so they were all fighting over it. And the whole time I was thinking like, what? Why don't you just let other people have the gem? It doesn't do anything. You cause the apocalypse because you're being dumb. Does the stone do anything? Is there any power behind it? Well, the stone is used to banish the drone because even like when they have the, those pieces, when it breaks, it still defends them from it. It's like a sort of like a power shield almost. So maybe they right, knew it's like, it. Everybody was defended. That is true. Yeah. I don't know. It is, it is, in a way, it is sort of like a plot device. I don't think it's nearly as bad as some other plot devices like the uh, rock in Wonder Woman 1984, but it does have some elements of that. I, I do like how um, it is, it, it's, it is essentially the main symbol of conflict in the movie and how that one, just one central object is enough to divide an entire nation just by one thing and one thing alone. That's actually really kind of insane, but also it sort of shows that like, yeah, simple things can divide people in the in the strongest of ways one stone to rule them all i think that's where i found my comparisons <laughs> i gotta if i were if i were Rhea's dad i would just like i don't know i'd sisterhood of the traveling pants it where i just like i don't know you can have the stone for a little bit it doesn't matter or just bury it in the freaking backyard it doesn't like you can stop the apocalypse my dude what are you doing but whatever. Also, hire a third security guard. My God. It's just the dude and his daughter. Before he trained his daughter, it was just him. Oh, my God. Anyway, I'm sorry. No, you're fine. That was, like, one of the problems that I had with the movie was it did, it did feel like sort of a massive gaping plot hole that they could have, like, 
sort of shown up with just a line like it only works when it's in the temple or something like that and it would have been like an oh like that right that's why you can't give it up but it did feel like they were being kind of greedy with it and just like doesn't do anything but don't touch it it's ours just throw it in the ocean well they're well because they're from the heart and you know it's like the main source of their power so it's like at their center so of course they have to be the ones to have it you can't give that to tail because that's at the end of the of the of the dragon or whatever it's called (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> does, does anybody miss the importance of the appendix in this situation? I was waiting for them to make name more lands after parts of a body. Like, can the appendix have some love here? Should have gotten some love. It. I did really like that, though. Like, just to sort of go on to the world building, just the fact that there's sort of on a thing that like a lake slash river that looks like a dragon and you sort of understand like just the fact that you can understand where people are just exclusively based on the name of the country is really well done because in tail you know where they are and fang you know where they are and what is it called like talon you know where they are and it's just so genius everything about the world building in this movie was really really well done which is a shame that we're not going to get any more of it because it wrapped up so nicely they can't like make a sequel to it it felt to me a little bit i think well it's it's not a fair comparison but it kind of is it felt a little bit like the world building in aquaman if anybody knows that where it's just like all right a new place a new place a new place a new place and it's like oh my god how many places are we gonna go to and i get it you know the whole point is that you know she has to go to all these like five different kingdoms or whatever but it constantly felt like they were just like ping-ponging around from like all right we're here we're here we're here and i was just like oh my goodness like giving me a headache I feel like it, if it ever had a TV show, it could kind of like take inspiration from like the other early Disney shows. Like, I think everybody remembers. I'm not sure if you guys ever watched, but I used to watch like Leo and what and nah, Lilo and Stitch the series where it kind of like a new monster or a new experiment each episode or or Hercules, the animated series where they kind of visited different part of Greece or something like I feel like it could do something like that as a tv show um but I did uh I'm just reading up it's it's only a little tidbit but said like Kelly Marie Tran is interested in doing another one with Raya if like both her and Namari Jemakon's character have a lesbian relationship which I actually I think that would work to be honest I think that because I do get I do. I can see them going that route with those characters. Oh, they were queer baiting hard the entire movie. She had an undercut. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, one hundred percent. I I don't know where they would go next. Though. Well, actually, it's a pretty big world. I guess they could do something. I kind of just want to see this story told again, though, in longer form. It it it's, it is so ripe for potential. I think that's one of the one of the positives of having such a large-scale world like this is that you can imagine there being more stories to tell i think that's what all good world building does um we, we didn't really touch upon this but one of my favorite elements of this movie is the action i think the action was so well done like really well animated it was i kind of talked about earlier but it's every single action scene it's like it's really fast-paced and quick there's this incredible amount of energy thrown into it it's like you need like a break almost in between some of them like and they're really creative too i like how each action scene and each of the factions delivers something different whether or not it's like at the chase through the marketplaces and i think it was talon or using when sizu comes down during um 
uh, I can't remember which one it was. It was the one, I think it was Spine. It's the one with all the snow. And so like the colors are end up being like kind of matched the color of the dragon. It, they they use their environment to its to their advantage when choreographing these action scenes. Yeah, I have to agree. The action in this movie was absolutely spectacular, but just from start to finish. Again, like I want to see more of it, but we're not going to get any more of it because again, they wrapped it up too nicely. Would it kill them to leave one loose thread? Uh, but we're almost out of time for Ryan the Last Dragon. So final thoughts. I didn't like hate this movie. I just don't think it was like a movie that was really for me. I feel like maybe if I was like having like friends over that were like, you know, in like younger ages and they wanted to watch it, then fine. I'd maybe be a little bit more entertained. That's kind of how I was with Coco a little bit. A hot take. But, you know, this is just one where I was like, it's fine for what it is. It's just, again, not for me. I think there were some cool things like, yes, the animation is great. The voice cast is great besides Aquafina, And I'm glad you mentioned it, Calvin, because that was the one thing that I thought was the coolest thing about the movie was the sword. I actually thought that was super cool when it like is coming apart and she's like whipping or whatever. So that was cool. But yeah, other than that, I was just a little bored during this. So I'd probably give uh, Ray and the Last Dragon probably like a four out of 10 as well. It's not, it's nowhere near being Disney's best, but at the same time, it is far from being Disney's worst. And I rather have a not so perfect original story rather than sequel after sequel after sequel, because I agree that this is pro, this is a new, not new generation, but it's like this is sort of a slow return to what Disney was known for back during the Renaissance era, just really good original creative storytelling. It drops the ball quite in quite a few places. Like I said, the tone is incredibly inconsistent. Uh, the side characters, I don't think, are the most compelling, but it really saves it with that world building. Like such a strong protagonist and just really good animation too. Riding the Last Dragon, it's definitely flawed, but I did enjoy it even a second time around. But is it on par with like Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King? Absolutely not, but I still enjoyed it nonetheless. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. I think most of, I complained about the movie a decent amount, but most of it is just because I like, I think there was so much missed potential and that is what makes me upset. But the movie had such an interesting world and I liked the character of Raya a lot. Um, and the fact that it's an original story, I think is great. So I don't know. I guess I'd probably give it a seven, yeah. Yeah, I think this is just a little bit refreshing for me because I think seeing like so many things that like sequels and sequels and more sequels, this has been tiring throughout like the 2010s decade. I mean, it's just where it doesn't feel like Disney was really doing anything original before then, but it's now nice to kind of see something that is a bit different it's a bit original and is a bit cultural and really has a good message about unity and trust and i feel like that's like the thing that really holds the movie together and the animation's pretty good i really like the voice acting and even though like i said with like the side characters like they're not the most like memorable but i could understand like say what people can really get out of them um but yeah, I think I really give this a movie a seven out of ten. It's kind of a nice, refreshing turn to form, return to form for Disney. Seven and a half to eight out of ten for me. It's really good. It's my favorite Disney princess movie, which 
I mean, like, whether it's actually a Disney princess movie, you can sort of call into question because she's like only kind of a princess. But um, yeah, it's really good. And I'm probably going to watch it again pretty soon, which is saying something because I just watched it recently. But that'll wrap up our conversation on Ryan the Last Dragon and this episode of Bijou Banter. Funny how that worked out. Uh, but next week, be sure to tune in if you want, where we're going to be talking about In the Heights, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda slash John M. Chu's new movie, and Luca, which is Pixar's new film. But until then, I've been Calvin. I've been Orson. I've been Matthew. I've been Daniel. And I've been Josh. And my headset is dead. Oh, no. Uh, well, it, they died at the perfect time, because that's the end of this episode. So we will see you all next time. Bye-bye.